Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Empowering Equality with Inclusive Workplace and Supply Council of Canada, or IWSCC. And if you're watching this on YouTube, we have ASL interpretation and supplied by the Translation Bureau. Um, my name is Deidre Guy, and I am the president and founder of the IWSCC, or the Inclusive Workplace and Supply Council of Canada. We certify businesses that are owned by people with disabilities and or owned by veterans, uh, and we make connections for them with large purchasing organizations across Canada. And I'm so excited today to have Sarah Ann Herchenko here uh, from Procurement Assistance Canada, or PAC, as you'll probably uh, hear it referred to throughout the rest of the podcast. Sarah Ann is a proud culturally deaf member and is an American Sign Language user. She is currently an MBA candidate at Royal Worlds University. And Sarah Ann joined uh, Procurement Assistance Canada, or PAC, Pacific Region, as a procurement advisor last year and brought an in-depth understanding of business, having experienced various barriers as a tile uh, business owner as well as a citizen. She's bringing her system navigation skills to PAC and is passionate about educating and spreading awareness of the many fantastic oppor opportunities in doing business with the Government of Canada. So welcome, Sarah Ann, and thank you so much for being here. If you can take a, a few minutes and tell us who you are, a little bit about you and what it is that you do. Thank you very much, Deidre, for the invitation to join your podcast today. I'm Sarah Ann, and you signed my name like this. Deaf people have their own name signs, so not every Sarah Ann has this name sign, so this one is unique to me. My parents were deaf as well, and that doesn't happen very often in deaf families, but I grew up using sign language. I went to school for the deaf, and I've had all of my education through sign language, and so I'm a very proud sign language user. I really value that as part of the deaf culture. I joined PAC. There are six different regions for PAC, Atlantic, Quebec, Ontario, Western, and Pacific. There's also a national capital region, and that makes up the six. And I'm a proud West Coaster, so I'm in the Pacific region. Thank you, Sarah. And um, we had the pleasure of doing uh, some events uh, on the West Coast just earlier in October. So we were, it was kind of a flurry. We were in, uh, where did we go first? Uh, Calgary, and then Edmonton the next day, and then Vancouver the next day, and home that day. So I didn't see a whole lot of those cities, but uh, but it was nice to get out there and meet a lot of people. And we really, we really enjoyed the community and the people that we met. So can you tell us a little bit about PAC or Procurement Assistance Canada and what do what does PAC do and then what made you decide that you wanted to work there? Thank you. I it wasn't really a choice on my point, uh, part to join PAC. Um I would actually bid on federal procurement opportunities and I met the director of the Pacific region, Tara Hartley. And she is is quite a unique person. Um, uh, she knew I had business experience. She knew I had experience working in the government prior. And 
I would teach deaf business owners to share awareness with them how to do business for federal procurement. And so she made it sound like a really great, unique opportunity. So I decided to join. And PAC itself provides in uh, interpreting services during any kind of uh, workshop events and procurement op um, awareness events that we offer. And uh, I'm deaf. We also have for deaf and hard of hearing, and I'm included in that on, on our team. And so we can offer direct service during these seminars and workshops in American Sign Language. And we teach all about navigating federal procurement, what it's about, where to start. And that's what we do in PAC. It's really rewarding work. Yeah, it, it sounds like it would be, especially if you're taking uh, a small business owner or a business owner through the journey of not understanding how to navigate the system or how to do business with the federal government. And then suddenly, you know, they're they're bidding and perhaps winning contracts that that's got to be quite gratifying. It is. And if I could also add PAC Pacific we have a number of diverse employees on our team. And what we want to do is include uh, people with disabilities, people of color on our team, and so that we can better represent um, the population, that we can engage well with underrepresented communities. We have the same understanding of where they're coming from. And what we want to do is create a safe space for them to learn federal procurement. And so we want to demonstrate that our team is diverse and so that we can engage those communities and feel like that they are uh, can work directly with us. As a member of the deaf community and teaching other deaf people about what procurement is all about, um, it's so important to get that information directly. And Tara Hartley she has a great understanding of how to engage various diverse groups. She's really great at building a diverse team. And I wanted to emphasize that. Yes, we've met Tara. I've met Tara on a couple of occasions. And I think that she may have been at one of our matchmaking sessions um, with PAC. Uh, and I really enjoy uh, her personality and how much experience she has. In fact, uh, she told us that in all of the years that she's been uh, with uh, procurement and with the uh, federal government, she's only mm -hmm. seen a handful of um, products or services that the government doesn't purchase. So I think that's important that people understand that our, our government buys a lot of things and a variety of things. So you might not think as a business owner, your products or services are applicable to the federal government. But in my experience, I would say you might be surprised by that. Would, would you agree, Sarah-Ann? I do. Oh, yes. Uh, the federal government really purchases, well, purchases $24 billion worth of goods and services. And the majority of those purchases are from small businesses. So there's lots of opportunities in federal procurement for small businesses. Lots of 
random things <laughs> that the government will buy. Uh, and it's great because it provides opportunity for small, diverse suppliers to sell to the federal government. Yeah, I, I think that uh, the work that you do with PAC and, and the concept behind PAC uh, overall is, is a really great idea and something that we've definitely uh, been needing in terms of the procurement process. It could be so complicated and so many barriers in place, in particular, uh, in my experience, for people with disabilities. So this, this type of service that you're offering is, is, uh, is well needed and absolutely welcome. Now, PAC supports IWSCC and the work that we do with disabled and veteran-owned businesses specifically. So what would you say are the benefits of doing business with disabled-owned businesses and with veteran-owned businesses in your experience? Thank you. Um, I always talk about deaf gain, being a deaf person. So when I say deaf gain, it means any goods or services purchased from persons with disability. Uh, when you're looking at the deaf gain, it means the deaf eyes, the deaf perspective on something. And we offer a certain quality. Say, for example, uh, video production. If you have a video crew that is deaf run, they're far superior and have such technical advantage because their lighting will be impeccable. During the film production, Deaf people are very sensitive about how the visual look is. And so if you have any, let's say, a hearing company who wants to provide sign language, the lighting won't be right. There will be shadows that affect the comprehensibility of the video. And so if you have the deaf perspective in there, you're really bringing in a, real, a unique point of view to this service that they're offering. And if anyone in the public wants to do the same kind of thing. They'll want to bring that perspective into their own work in video production. So that's just one example of deaf gain. You want to include the gain of all of diverse suppliers. I think it just enriches the experience. Um, when I think of veterans, it's so important for the work that they have done and they have such uh, valuable experience transferable skills that they can apply to their own entrepreneurial opportunities. And we want to make sure that those perspectives are included in the procurement process so that when the federal government receives bids, they'll be able to see a really diverse and inclusive array of offers. When we have our matchmaking uh, sessions with IWSCC, and, and we have one right after this, for example, with Ontario Power Generation. So we have 14 of our uh, um, disabled or veteran uh, business owners that each have five minutes to pitch their business to the, the purchasing people at, at Ontario Power Generation. Um, so we always hear back especially the very first time that, that each of our uh, corporate purchasers and, and government purchasers uh, it, it experience uh, one of these matchmaking sessions and get to meet our suppliers, always hear back at how impressed they are. And I unfortunately surprised in some cases they are about just how competent um, and, and how innovative uh, these suppliers are. And, and many will say, wow, I didn't even know such a thing existed. And here's a whole company that provides it and we can actually use it. So they, they really notice that innovation 
Uh, and, and I say that, you know, there's so much perseverance within both communities uh, and that innovation is a result of, of all the different barriers that may be experienced on a daily basis uh, by either of those communities. So it's, um, yeah, I, I agree with you. There's, mm -hmm. there's so many things that folks with disabilities and as well as veterans see that many other folks just don't pick up in their everyday life. And that really can be translated into uh, fantastic business ownership. Um, I'll give you a second to answer that if you've got anything to say on that. Yeah. What I would like to do is um, encourage people, persons with disabilities, veterans, to register in the federal procurement system. Register, become a supplier. Your company will become more visible. You can share information. I think it's a wonderful opportunity. And then the government realizes that there are businesses out there with this experience behind them. Another way to uh, help build networking is just to register, make that name visible. Then there's opportunities to get into the federal procurement system. And then the, now there's no need to disclose, but once you register, that just opens the door. And I think it provides more opportunities. And it's one small step is just register as a supplier. And the beauty is, if you're having any difficulties registering in any way, the people from PAC are here to support that and help you out. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Sarah, and in your experience, what are some common misconceptions that hearing people have about hearing loss or deafness? Hmm. That's a great question. For me, the misunderstandings often are that I can speech read, I can lip read, but I can't. Uh, it's not a skill that I have. So people assume that all deaf people can lip read when that's just not the case. You know, I use a beautiful, rich sign language that's steeped in culture. I have my own community of sign language users. And a lot of hearing people don't realize that the deaf community has culture, that they have their own language. There's a deaf Olympics, there's deaf associations, there's a number of different things that we have and that we use and relate to as a community. And some of those misconceptions, uh, not everyone, but I have seen it. If during an interview, I may ask the employer to hire an interpreter, uh, where because they'll think it's my responsibility to book the interpreter, but it's actually the interpreter is there for everybody, for the two of us to be able to communicate. And so communication is not the responsibility solely of the deaf person. Um, so it's communication is between us. So that's why we bring in the interpreter. So who's here for both myself and for you or for the employer. And so communication is the responsibility of both of us. Yeah. And so that's, those are probably the two main misconceptions. I love that concept. Um, with IWSCC, it, it just always stood to reason that we would be supplying ASL in any of our circumstances with speaking with people. But I have had people say exactly that thing mm -hmm. to me, like, don't they have an interpreter that they just have with them at all times that can, you know, do any communication? And, mm -hmm. and I mean, you know, it's absolutely 
I want to say absurd that, that that would be the case. And so, you know, again, people do not understand what they don't spend time experiencing. So thank you uh, for sharing that with us. My pleasure. In your bio, it says culturally deaf. Can you explain what, what that exactly means? I can. So uh, I'd mentioned previously, but growing up, I went to a school for the deaf. I've been born and raised in the deaf environment because my parents are deaf. I have been attended the Deaf Olympics. I have so many great role models in the deaf community that I can look up to. They all have, they share their experiences and their stories that they pass down in, from generations. And so I'm happy to share in that experience of culture. There's this history uh, and that comes with being part of the community. I was involved in Deaf Olympics. I was part of the women's volleyball team. I was in Italy, Rome. I, I competed there and there I met internationally so many different deaf people uh, and i've gone to a number of international events and again that is what binds us and it's a real uh something that we value greatly is that community and when you see the word deaf written with a capital d that means we relate to having that history that culture and we're proud of being uh deaf we don't use the word or the term hearing impaired from my perspective, that's the medical model of disability. Hearing impaired implies that something is broken. And mm -hmm. I just don't feel that way about myself. Um, you know, I have a, a good life and, and I'm deaf. So when you use the term deaf, does that mean, um, does that include folks who aren't uh completely unable to hear anything? Like, is there sort of a scale of where the, the word deaf starts to be used? I mean, I'm losing my hearing. So at some point I may no longer have any hearing. And so I'm just wondering if there's, uh, you know, if, if, I don't know, it's, I'm, I'm having a difficult time expressing myself, but I'm just wondering if deaf is, is, is uh, a word that's used for people who don't necessarily have complete and total hearing loss. And, or maybe it's a personal thing for each individual. Really, I'm in no position to make that decision, how someone wants to identify. Um, that's not up to me. It, it's up to the person, the individual. If right. they identify as deaf, then that's great. Or if somebody is hard of hearing and wants to identify, or if they may have just some hearing and want to identify as deaf, Absolutely. Whatever they're comfortable and what they feel their identity is, it's important to honor that. Uh, and that's what they, they project. And I think that's what's important to take in their own identity. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you for that. Um, so what can you tell us then about the experience of regularly communicating through an interpreter? What, what do folks need to know about that? Interpreting services are really important. So again, it's so that we can communicate. It's their interpreters are here for the both of us. Um, when you think of the, the concept of interpreting, they become the bridge for communication. They link two languages, sign and spoken English. And they're two very different modalities, uh, which can be a challenge. Um, 
The interpreting industry itself uh, was established not very long ago, so it's still a fairly new industry. Yeah, I would say back in the 1970s, there were no opportunities for training or education of sign language interpreters. And so the community made do, they would have people who could just sign, there were no official courses. But then as the profession evolved, then there were in, interpreter training programs established, it was very slow to get going. And in Canada, there were a few interpreter education programs established. Uh, you have some who graduate who are, are new interpreters, fortunately. I have access uh, during my life, work and personal to have interpreting services. The, the supply of interpreting of interpreters is, is, is small. So the actual, once the interpreter training um, institutions have been set up, but there's still a need, there's a, a lack of interpreting services. I, it's very important for me to choose the interpreters that I work with. I'm a deaf professional and I want to make sure that I am reflected that way. And so I want to have a good working relationship with the interpreters who work with me. Uh, if it's somebody who's new, and I don't know who doesn't, maybe doesn't know my work or my background. They may not understand the context of mm -hmm. what PAC is and what they do to bring them in would just not be successful for me. And, and it's not a great position for that interpreter as well. So it's, uh, you know, a, a little bit difficult if somebody is parachuted in and it hasn't gone well. It's, a, it can be awkward, but if, I, you know, it could be somebody who's new, who doesn't have the experience, who's still learning. Uh, if they're brought in, I don't mind working with them as long as they come in, they ask questions. And it's okay to be curious to stop, double check, interrupt me, see if they're, if it's, if they're interpreting correctly, that I'm happy to do that as part of the process. Cause what I want to do is make sure that everything is clear. So for interpreters to interrupt, to check in, I think that's really important. It builds a layer of trust. So all of these experiences, how, and, and you talked about this already to some degree, but how has that really benefited and supported and informed the work that you do now with PAC? I wouldn't be able to to do my job. Uh, I wouldn't be able to engage with suppliers. So interpreting services is really important. Um, I provide seminars. I contact business owners. I help them through federal procurement process. Uh, and I can do that with either deaf or hearing suppliers. So I, I lead hearing suppliers as well with with using uh, an interpreter. That way we can communicate. And it's great because it's a learning opportunity for them and they see what the service looks like. So that's why we will always provide service in that context. And just to go back, when we're talking, it, it, it's important to speak directly to the deaf person. When you were asking before how to work with an interpreter, so you wouldn't say, tell him or tell her mm -hmm. this. Just speak naturally as if the two of you are communicating directly. And so you speak to the deaf person and rather than say like a third person saying interpreter, can you tell them this? You would speak directly to the deaf person. That's great information to share uh, with all the folks that are watching. Um, 
I'm interested, and this is one of my my first questions when we knew we were going to be uh, doing this podcast with you. I'm always interested in nonverbal cues with people. It's something I kind of, I don't know, I study a little bit. So I just, I think that mm-hmm. coming from, uh, you know, the deaf experience, there must be so many more things that we do and say and ways that we move in the hearing community that really helps you um, get an understanding of what that person may be like. So um, can you share what you learn from people uh, uh, about the things that they're not actually saying? Hmm. You know, if the hearing people are, are awkward, hey, move to Italy, get used to that nonverbal <laughs> communication. That's something, a skill you could pick up there. I, I joke, but really, uh, yes, body language, um, facial expressions are so important for conveying meaning. And yes, I'm able to notice that quite a bit. I think deaf people are generally are more sensitive to body language in general. That does happen. Um, I just think that's part of our nature as a, a deaf person, our ability to use language, to look for those kind of cues. Maybe there are hearing people who are also have that skill because I think it is a human thing. It's mm-hmm. it's just part of how we interact, how we respond. And I think some people are able to see it, even if it's not said. Um, yeah, it's important to recognize. So changing the, the, the topic a little bit, uh, coming back to um, the federal government and, and PAC, um, what do you think that Canada as a country, I guess, also is, is doing right when it comes to including uh, people with disabilities in procurement and in supply chains? Um, and we'll talk federal government since that's uh, your experience. We are in contact with uh, a diverse audience. For example, for PAC, I can deal directly with deaf suppliers. And other underrepresented groups are also included as well. We like to do some outreach and engagement with them on federal procurement. There are lots of opportunities to become recognized and to, to raise awareness that there is a diverse group of suppliers out there. It increases opportunities available to provide goods and services to the government. And I think since about 2018, PSPC has done pilot projects for federal, federal procurement with underrepresented communities. And it's been a great opportunity because they have, it has led to the awarding of contracts. And we recognize that there are barriers in navigating the system in their experience. And so we want to respond to that. And we are also responding by uh, providing an electronic tender solution. Way back when, any kind of tenders would have to be taken to the post office um, and, and dealing in physical documents, and now everything is very different. We're working on modernizing the procurement process, and so what that does is we're trying to appeal to a number of different suppliers. When the federal government purchases, we're trying to keep in mind the Treasury Board Directive on Management of Procurement. 
There is funding available to make sure that any opportunity is accessible because what we want to do is have equal opportunity for everyone to provide goods and services. And it could be that goods or services, if it is accessible, then it, that means what the has purchased is accessible to everyone. And we also like to use gender-based analysis or GBA plus on every procurement opportunity. And what we want to do again is engage and make sure that the opportunities are there available to everyone and to have a really diverse supplier community. Okay, so I think you kind of almost addressed the next couple of questions on the list because I have um, next I'm asking what do you think that could could be done better? And you've talked a few about a few things uh, that you think could be done better to uh, include people with disabilities in, in uh, the supply chains. Is there anything else that you can think of that, that, that Canada could do to better support uh, people with disabilities in procurement? In general, if anyone has any concerns or is, wants to supply goods or services, PAC is here to support. So if anyone is ever confused about a, a tender, reach out to us and we'll help navigate through that system. It's always good to contact the contracting authority. You'll see that outlined in the tender that's available. There will be contact information, so please go ahead and make sure you're doing that well ahead of the, the deadline for the tender submission. So if there is anything regarding accessibility, accommodation that a supplier may need, please feel free to reach out to the contracting authority. Uh, don't be afraid to ask for anything because your questions will be answered. And in particular for persons with disability and other underrepresented groups, it's, I say it's always great to ask PAC to get that ball rolling. So to help through the procurement process and that journey. So what do you think um, are PAC's next steps when it comes to accessibility and disability inclusion, specifically accessibility and disability inclusion? We recently had a deaf small business networking event. Um, so we do things like that. Uh, we'll also provide seminars uh, for community futures, for example, that's in the Pacific region. So we have lots of different engagement opportunities uh, and we'll work with different communities, including persons with disabilities. And I just went to the Deaf Small Business Expo. Excuse me, that's the Deaf Expo, not small business, the Deaf Expo in Ottawa. And so that was great because there were different uh, small businesses there. PAC, I was there representing PAC and was able to network with people there, there in the Ottawa region. That, that uh, I think, has got to be so amazing for the deaf community to have these events specifically dedicated to the deaf community with uh, a focus on gaining uh, business opportunities and contracts and, and revenue for your business? Because I would think that that's a fairly rare thing. Would that be safe to say or new, a newer thing? Yes. And Pac Pacific team, we, we've tried hard to, to have a diverse workplace and we want to represent the communities that are out there so that suppliers can see that the door is open for federal procurement and 
we're trying to raise awareness, which means more opportunity. That's fantastic. And, and really great to hear uh, that so much effort is being done to include small business and specifically, uh, as you're talking about, uh, disabled owned businesses within the government supply chain. I always talk about how um, that snowball uh, sort of effect that when, and I talk to the procurement people about this specifically, when, when they make the choice to do business with a disabled or a veteran-owned business, in, in our experience, and, and you may uh, have experienced this as well, but within the veteran community and in the disability community, as these companies uh, get larger and grow and gain revenue, they tend to hire within their particular diversity group, whether it be employees or whether it be within their supply chain. So I talk to procurement professionals about that choice that they make can have this uh, economic snowball impact in the larger community that they may never know about, but that is really important to take into consideration when they're making decisions, uh, as well, of course, as the goods and services and price mm -hmm. point, all those things remain the same. This isn't a handout, but it is an understanding of working with these innovative companies has that additional benefit of that economic snowball that may not be the case when you're working with non-diverse or larger organizations. Yes. And the more small and diverse businesses that can become successful, then the better it is in the ecosystem. I think that's absolutely paramount. Thank you so much, uh, Sarah Ann, for being here today. Uh, I've really, I, I always say that I do these podcasts uh, to inform the community, but also so that I can learn and get to know people better. And so I'm really happy to have had that opportunity today. We really appreciate you being here. My pleasure. And thank you very much for inviting me and for PAC to share what it is that we do and help raise awareness about um, federal procurement system. And if anyone is interested in learning more, please contact PAC. We're here. We'd be thrilled to hear from you. <laughs> okay. What a great way to end off this podcast. And thank all of you for joining us today. Uh, for more information about the work that IWSCC does in uh, supplier diversity and inclusion, uh, you can visit us on our website at uh, iwscc.ca. Uh, you can find us on YouTube for our podcasts or listen in on your favorite podcast platform. And we will see you again next time. Bye-bye.